Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We're now on the second lesson of our study of the book of Genesis. Right. The official title being The Book of Beginning. The lesson for April 9. Yes, this is the lesson for April 9. So, um, yeah, we didn't know the last time because we're still like in advance. Yes. Uh, so we found that the, the title, as far as we understand, <laughs> the from book of the, beginnings. Yes, the book. No, the book of the beginning. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we know what we're talking about. We can't say it clearly. We're, we're talking about Genesis. So in this lesson, we're going to be looking at the third chapter of Genesis, even though this is our second lesson. Of course, lesson one covered Genesis chapters one, one and the two. Creation account. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now we're looking at, and it's tersely titled, The Fall. So very clear and on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, no doubt an opportunity for rich Sabbath school discussion. So we're going to dive into this week's lesson and outline those talking points. If you would please give us a word of prayer to start with. Yes, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you for the testimony of your word. We ask that as it is studied throughout Sabbath schools, Lord, across the world, that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would lead the minds of each teacher and participant into your truth, that it may strengthen them in their resolve uh, to live for you. Uh, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, this is, again, as I mentioned in our discussion last time, the whole book of Genesis is a storyline. Yeah. And it started with chapters 1 and 2 with the creation of man in uh, God's image and all the wonderful things there. But, of course, we have to go to Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man. And that's what our focus is this week. That's right. And so drawing three distinct talking points out of a narrative flow, it can be a little bit challenging because mm-hmm. my, my temptation is like, don't have talking points this week, week just, just read, read through it. it and talk about the stuff that's written there in their order. But there are some themes and there are some particulars we can draw out. And so I would mm-hmm. submit to you that our first talking point this week, talking point number one, Satan is the serpent who deceives the whole world. Okay. Okay, that's primarily from Sunday and Monday's lesson. Then we'll get to talking point number two. Sin changed the world. That's Tuesday and Wednesday being the basis of that. And we're talking about human nature, the whole creation, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Finally, talking point number three, God had a plan in place should man sin. That's Tuesday and Thursday's lesson. So... All along, we're basically looking at the chronological flow of the story, but we're going to draw out some themes to focus on in our conversation and study. So let's go back to talking point number one. Satan is the serpent who deceives the whole world. Why don't you read, just for refresher, the first six verses of Genesis chapter 3. Can you do that? Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. 
Mm. Now, later on in the story, she's actually going to use the word deceived, right? Mm -hmm. But what we see here is the practice of deception itself. We don't have a description of it. We have an example of it. And if you go back to Revelation chapter 12, which we're very familiar with in the Seventh Adventist Church, Mm -hmm. hopefully we see the war in heaven. And what we're told about the war is that it was the one side was by the dragon or that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, and his hallmark weapon is deception. Look at verses 7 through 9. Why don't you read those? Mm-hmm. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So clearly, when it says here that phrase, that serpent of old, Mm -hmm. that's a reference to that ancient serpent in the very beginning of Scripture from the creation account itself, or at least the narrative of the fall in Genesis 3. Well, it's interesting even that the names devil and Satan there Mm -hmm. in the Greek refer to an accuser, a slander, uh, uh, somebody who... So the whole idea of... um, the deception mm-hmm. is in, in, inherent in the in the names the Bible gives Lucifer here. Exactly, and, and we can tell that. I mean, state. Satan. We're. T- I mean, if we took a whole study on this, we could talk about how he was jealous and angry, and the Bible even says he was filled with violence within. Mm-hmm. But violence has never been his number one go-to thing. Mm-hmm. It's always deception. Now, violence. I'm sure he's thrilled with when he has the opportunity, mm-hmm. just like he had the opportunity with Jesus on the cross, and he exercised his violence. But. His most, you think about even the the persecution of the martyrs in the early Christian church or during the Protestant Reformation. What was it? What was the, the famous saying that the, the blood of martyrs is seed, seed right? Yeah. The Tertullian. idea being that, that really, de- deception is really, of his two main weapons, it's the only one that really works. <laughs> and so he goes to it. That's his go-to. In fact, Jesus said he's a liar and the father of it. He right. instigated this concept. So when we see the story in Genesis chapter 3... It's no wonder he doesn't come with like overt attacks or violent, you know, approach. His his MO, his whole modus operandi is to approach with guile, with cunning, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we see. He was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field the Lord God had made, and from that cunning deceptive point, he Well, you know what that makes me think of and and perhaps you've given thought to this, but it's interesting to me that the tree that God forbid them to eat from was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there's truth in that. You ever sometimes it's like with tree, you know, Eve desired the, the the fruit of the tree, saw it as a fruit that was desirable that that to, to make one to, wise. To, yeah. Well, yeah, and, you know, that was pleasant to the eyes and whatever. Well, part of that was true. And people will say, you know, your eyes will be open, the devil says, knowing good and evil. Well, her eyes were open knowing good and mm-hmm. evil. But not in a way that she should have known. Right. Okay? But anyway, the idea of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's it's not just a tree of the knowledge of evil. Mm. Adam and Eve would have never gone to it. It's like, no, 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 I'm not supposed to have that. But there was that enticement, and I and I believe just in the verbiage of that, you look at the devil's deception. It's always the mingling of truth, right. and, and he error. always comes makes it palatable. Winsome, right? He, the Bible describes yeah. him coming as an angel of light to Jesus in the wilderness. He doesn't just make an open attack. He starts with this really mm-hmm. cunning guile, kind of intriguing way, yeah. right? That's why we read in Second Corinthians eleven verse three, where the Paul, Paul writes, "But I yes. fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted by the simplicity that." 
from the simplicity that's in Christ. Well, the funny thing is, in that passage, he talks about, in the context, he talks about how he's concerned that they would believe in another Jesus. Mm. So, not another devil, right? right? This is somebody, an imposter, who's going to, you know, pass himself off, look in all ways, like, oh, this is... This is Jesus, but it would be undermining you know, and so deceptively. We sh- so it's completely in line with what we know of Satan, that of course he would approach with this kind of like uh, uh, subterfuge, this kind yes. of like this covert ops, if you will. Now notice, uh, Patriots and Prophets, page 53, we read this. In order, to, and this is also from the quarterly, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, Sunday, Sunday, paragraph, paragraph three. three. In order to accomplish his work unperceived, Satan chose to employ as his medium the serpent, a disguise well adapted for his purpose of deception. The serpent was then one of the wisest and most beautiful creatures on the earth. It had wings, and while flying through the air, presented an appearance of dazzling brightness, having the color and brilliancy of burnished gold. So, it is not just... As we get into the dialogue, he's going to say, you can be like God, you can, your eyes will be open. And in his bearing as a, as a as this medium, he chose the serpent yes. who, whose countenance looked to back up the claims, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, here's this one beast who's, mm-hmm. who's wise and capable and beautiful. And, you know, well, let's move into the arguments themselves. Because when he starts in, yes. as you've already read, he starts in with the question, has God indeed said? Yes. Which obviously we know is, is, a, is an implicit it's not out now slander, but it's right. an implicit slander and discrediting and right. Well, it's first of all even opening the idea that God's word might not be what you recall mm-hmm. it or what you understand it to be, or maybe you didn't quite hear right. it, or maybe it's not as it. It's introducing even the slightest sliver of doubt. Well, and even even unreasonable. Like, mm. did God really say that? Like, mm. nobody would say. Nobody, he couldn't have said that. There's no way. Because yeah. that would be so unreasonable. Yeah. Just, but he didn't say it, he implied it. Right, and it lures her into the conversation. She's like, no, 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 I want to correct the record. Yes. In fact, she starts to overcorrect the record and mm-hmm. be emphatic about it. Which, by the way, in the New Testament, you always, you never see us being told to engage the devil. We can stand <laughs> up against and run away That's from, right. right? Or he'll flee Even from you. Even the Lord did yeah. not... Bring Bring against him a railing accusation, just the Lord rebuke you. Well, which makes sense because when we looked at Revelation 12, we didn't read this part, but a third of the angel hosts. You're not going to win an argument. You're not going to win on the logic front with him. He's going to out cunning and craft you, right? But the Lord can win every argument. Exactly. So everything gets deferred to the Lord and you just stand firm in his, in his strength. Anyway, so as we go through the arguments, as you've already read through them, God is portrayed as untrustworthy and selfish that... His word might really not be what you think it is. And if it is, he's withholding from you because your eyes will be open, implying they're closed. You can be like God, implying you're being limited. You had mentioned that he starts out with the question, but then he goes on to say, when she rebuts and tries to defend God, oh no, God knows. So he introduces, like, God already knows what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. He's just not telling you. That's what right. I God know. knows, and I know, but you don't right. know. And if you, so it's like, yeah. yeah, just that, oh, he must be. Which sets Satan up, the serpent, as the conduit for truth mm-hmm. that God has withheld from you. He's and so, still doing it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is exactly how he works now. Uh, in fact, the quarterly brings out this great statement from Monday, paragraph mm-hmm. one. You want to read that there? Yeah, it is as if the serpent has now replaced God and knows even better than he does. Mm. So originally, of course, man was was created in God's image, got instruction from God, but now there's this other, this enemy is coming in, and so now you've got a choice to make. And Eve starts to evaluate. In fact, it says here, um, 
that wo- the woman, verse 6, I keep saying E, but technically she's just she's the a, woman. She's the helpmate so far, so yes. far. But she'll get named and we'll get there. But so the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eyes, which, by the way, both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. The food itself was inherently fine and the tree was beautiful to look upon, right? It says, and a tree desirable to make one wise. The implication being there was some deficit in her learning that could only Mm -hmm. be accessed through this fruit, right? She took of its fruit and ate. Now, in the notes, Mm. I put this point that while Eve was deceived into sin, we have the entire dialogue recorded. Yes. Adam chose outright because the very next sentence says, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So it doesn't ever say that Adam and the serpent had this conversation. She becomes the conduit of the second option, if you will, to Adam and presents yes. it to him and away from And just to clarify, the, the, the with her. Now, some translations say the New International Version will say who was with her. And mm. impl- implying that he was just standing there idly by while the whole thing was right. happening. Proximity That's geographic. That's not what the original yep. conveys. At one point, he they were together, so he could right. have been he was with her at the time she went and told him the story, but or along with her he ate the fruit. Mm-hmm. But the understanding of most scholars is not that Adam was just standing there. Right. This is a two-part process. She has the interaction, and then she, she becomes the vehicle to him. Right, and that seems to be exactly what it's talking about here in the text. So, if you go Which to, is also a method the devil still uses. Right. And so while 1 Timothy 2 refers to Eve was deceived, not Adam, yes. right? The idea being that he went into this clear-eyed. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was looking at and made the woeful choice, right? The quarterly brings us out, Monday, paragraph 3. It is troubling that as soon as the woman decided to disobey God, she behaved as if God were no longer present and had been replaced by herself. Hmm. So think about that. Just as the serpent was trying to take the place of God, she now in league with those same arguments and having been joined to them herself becomes the messenger or the, Mm -hmm. uh, the emissary, the, uh, ambassador. Yes. And it's, and now imagine yourself in Adam's position. He didn't hear the beguiling argument. He knows what God said. And now he has what the woman, of course, in league now with the serpent, right? is advocating. And he knows the right from wrong. In fact, his belief in that the, the, that knowledge was what led him to eat the fruit because he knew that if the woman ate the fruit, yeah. she would be taken from him. And he couldn't stomach it. He couldn't <laughs> right. bear the thought. But, but, but he knew the consequence. If he didn't believe the consequence, he would have been like, oh, it'll be okay. Yeah. So, But Patriarchs and Prophets brings this out, and I've only truncated the paragraph, but it's yes. page 56. It says, Adam understood that his companion had transgressed the command of God, disregarded the only prohibition laid upon them as a test of their fidelity and love. There was a terrible struggle in his mind. Notice it doesn't say there was a terrible confusion. It was a struggle because he knew, not because mm. he didn't, right? He resolved, which is code for he chose, he opted to share her fate. If she must die, he would die with her. So now we have the man and the woman from different approaches have the same end result. They opted for the thing God said not to do. Yes. And thus we have the fall of all humanity, really, which 
brings us to I'm, our second talking point. I'm being really yeah. bummed because, you know, this is something I meant to bring out last week and I didn't. But Ellen White makes the point that prior to sin, when we looked at it last week, that one of the first lessons God taught Adam and Eve was the lesson of self-denial. Don't mm. eat from that tree. Mm. That, that How important in a pre-sin world, God, uh, no creature was designed to indulge self all the time. Mm. And so, it, and it was because they went contrary to that that we fell into where. That's so we are. true. That's a great point. Well, and the results are seen in the same yes. story as well. That sin changed the world, and I don't mean that in like a trite kind of way. It's almost hard. I was I was putting these talking points together, and I was trying to put language to even my limited conception of what the world would have been like before sin, and then mm. what results we see now. Right. I can't imagine what it'd be like to have like. You start thinking about what was the climate like. You start thinking what was the food like. What was the association like with angels, and and animals, and knowledge, and capacity. I and has partic- not seen nor has ear right. heard. Right, because that's what we're talking about. And I feel so dumb about. saying sin changed the world. Did it? Like <laughs> it changed isn't a big enough word. Right. I, it, it 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 eviscerated it. It 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 pummeled it. It, it completely reshaped it. Um. Anyway. Uh, I don't know if you were kind about of a truism. To, it's a truism, yeah. Yeah, you were gonna. Ha- we were gonna look at Genesis three nine through eleven. Yeah, please go ahead. Then the Lord ca- God called to Adam and said to him, "Where are you?" So he said, "I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." And he said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat?" Mm. Now it's interesting of all the changes that could be mentioned, you know, in the whole ecosystem of mm-hmm. nature. Their nakedness is the first thing that's really the the point of uh, of impact here, but we understand from Scripture, and the lesson brings this out that they mm-hmm. were they were naked in the sense of physical nakedness, but they had a surrounding shroud of righteous glory, of, of mm-hmm. brightness, uh, robes of light, if you will, that the Book of Psalms talks about. And when they sinned, that that glorious shroud, that glory robes mm-hmm. vanished. And can you imagine the first time they noticed that? Yeah. Like they're, they're, and all of a sudden they're like, I wonder, I, you, I don't, when you say, because even as you're talking, I, I don't think there was, oh, no, 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 no. oh wait a minute. It had to be fairly drastic. or. Um, well, the point is that you were talking about one of the, one of the first things God brings up it's because it was the one probably most noticeable to them. Mm. And the fact that he asked the question. Mm. You think about that? Like, um, why, why are you hiding? Have you, like, God doesn't know that. Right. So he's addressing something that he knew they would have recognized right. and gave them that opportunity, which I think you're going towards well, repentance. Yes. For instance, look at Patriarchs and Prophets, page 57. It says, The robe of light which had enshrouded them now disappeared, and to supply its place they endeavored to fashion themselves a covering, for they could not, while unclothed, meet the eye of God and holy angels. So they had been used to communing openly with these heavenly beings, God himself. But now they, and I don't know if it had ever been a rule, don't come before me naked. But it was inherent in their now their new context that you can't go before God like this. And mm-hmm. it was a whole different way of looking at the world, right? Sure. Um, well, there was a whole new fear of God that had yeah. been introduced. And I wonder, again, I'm just processing through this, I really had that... That that light was the Lord's responsibility. It wasn't their light; it was His light. 
and it would appear that he waited. Like when Eve first sinned, like that wasn't the. It wasn't until Adam joined, and then boom, the light mm. goes out. Like then the full consequence, mm. and they realized. And I believe I've read that. Yeah, not, if not, I'm not, not mistaken. about the light, but about the the effect, the chilling atmosphere. Yes. When when Adam, there was a moral, there was a physical element mm-hmm. to this removal, right? And now, as you go through the rest of the consequences, the Lord's going to lay out not just the change of clothes is the issue, but also mm-hmm. increased pain for the woman. It's childbearing yes. and conception. For the man, it's going to be laboring by the labor and work, and, and yep. until they both die, right? So, and ultimately, death is going to be the thing. In so fact, it's God interesting. Had said work that. was a part of the the pre sin world. Yes, but there was an increased drudgery yes. that well, came as a result of sin. Well, let's bring this up, because if you notice in Genesis 3, um, everything's in Genesis 3, so let's mm-hmm. be clear, but uh, after he investigates the man and the woman, they finally admit to their guilt, yes. even though they do a lot of obfuscating to get there. Sure. Um, the and, Lord God and starts... passing the buck. Right. He addresses the, the, the four things, basically, there's the serpent, the man, the woman, and the ground are cursed. Only two of those receive a curse. The mm-hmm. serpent is cursed, and the ground's going to be cursed. The ground is cursed. In my understanding of it, because there's a difference between dealing with a curse and merely a consequence. In the curse, both the ground and the serpent are going to be destroyed completely, and the ground's going to be remade mm-hmm. with the earth made new. But God's intention for man and woman is not to destroy, but to redeem. So, right. the, now, but to your point... Look at the pain, though, it's involved. For the woman, everything is related to the man. Increase, And she was already going to be married. They were going to have children mm-hmm. before fall. But now there's an extremity to it, and an yes. intensification of the pain and difficulty of that context. Mm-hmm. And for the man, it's the working and the labor from the ground from which he was taken, right? right. This, this concept of increased pain finally leading to death. So you're going to keep living, but it's... Toilsome, difficult, challenging, frustrating yeah. until you die. Increasingly <laughs> so, yes. Not at all good. And the one I put in here... We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, but as we've talked about this as we get older, and you can prepare back when you're 18 or 20. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the where, where is evolution now? <laughs> I need some microevolution in my like, own life. Why am I not getting? Why do I have more aches and pains and this kind yeah. of thing? That's well, we're, we're a on lot. a downhill trajectory just inherently now. And the thing that the lesson didn't really bring out, but I thought it was just key to this to this study, is that one of the great changes of this world is that Adam had lost his rulership. Right? Yes. That Satan is now the ruler of this world. I'll just quickly reference Romans six sixteen makes the mm-hmm. reference that. Um, that to him who you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave, right? Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve have now joined right. the league with Satan. John 12 and 14 and yes. 16, by the way, he's Jesus himself referred the ruler of this world. He's talking about Satan. In Job, he shows up as the representative of this earth. Yes. And in Luke 4, Satan himself admits he didn't create this world. He said, it has been delivered to me yes. and I give it. So there is a sea change in the physical, the moral, and even the authority, the the the, the dominion mm. of this planet, everything changed with sin. Oh, please, let's go to number three. All right, 
Praise the Lord that the story includes <laughs> a Lord, plan. We have a third talking point. Right, God had a plan in place should man this sin. This is one of those weeks we don't want two talking points. No. We need three. And I love that in the middle of this arraignment of the man and the woman, the serpent and everything, we find Genesis 3.15. Uh, I'll read that one since we're you're slow on the draw there. I'll get ready. Right well, into I'll it. just open it up to the memory verse. Oh, go ahead. You already <laughs> right? have it written down. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise you shall bruise his heel yeah, right so god two. comes down by the way i i don't want you to miss the point in tuesday paragraph three about the investigative judgment motif mm-hmm. that god doesn't just from heaven start sending off judgments and casting down you know uh, punishments that he steps in and he inquires to your point earlier not because he doesn't know mm-hmm. god the answer to does god know is always yes yes but here he's investigating for clarification of fact, for recognition of guilt, and by God's grace, potential repentance. That's mm-hmm. his whole. Uh, says here the whole scenario. Let me just read this real quick. Yeah. The whole scenario reflects the idea of the investigative judgment, which begins with the judge who interrogates the culprit in order to prepare him for the sentence. But he does it also to prompt repentance, which will ultimately lead to salvation. This is a motif seen all through the Bible, mm-hmm. and it's set up yes. right there. In league with redemption is the process of how we get there. Well, that is a powerful point, especially tying it to the investigative judgment, because the investigative judgment is not the close of probation. Mm. And before the close of probation, there's still repentance. Well, you don't think of repentance in a courtroom. Right. But in the context of the investigative judgment, there's still opportunity. That while God for is asking, that's He's right. seeking, we can afflict the soul and still have opportunity for salvation. Yes. And that's God's ultimate objective. And now, and we're running out of time, but why don't we skip down to our conclusion here on page 65 yes. of Patriots and Prophets about this sentence which they heard. Yes, this sentence uttered in the hearing of our first parents was to them a promise. While it foretold war between man and Satan, it declared that the power of the great adversary would finally be broken. Adam and Eve stood as criminals before the righteous judge awaiting the sentence which transgression had incurred. But before they heard of the life of toil and sorrow which must be their portion, or the decree that they must return to dust, they listened to words that could not fail to give them hope. Though they must suffer from the power of their mighty foe, they could look forward to final victory. Mm. So Mm -hmm. I absolutely love how God deals with his stubborn, frustrating, disappointing creatures. That he still has a plan, mm. and I would. Now it's a little disappointing in, in the lesson that, and you had some things in here. We, we don't have time to get into it as much, but when the Bible refers to that first sin, it points to Adam, not Eve. Mm-hmm. The lesson didn't bring this out a lot, and then Jesus as the last Second Adam. Adam. Yeah. So you have that awesome picture of how Christ restores everything that was lost yes. to the first Adam. So despite all of this, like Jesus comes on the scene and... Yeah. Exactly right. And, and to that point, it, there are elements in the first two lessons here where you could easily get distracted in a discussion about the role of men and women. And especially mm-hmm. like the ordination of women to the gospel ministry is never mentioned in these chapters. But somehow I promise it could come up in your Sabbath school classes <laughs> because it's a, it is a contemporary topic. There is such rich depth of the actual story itself. Please don't get sidelined into those issues, those debates that have been Mm. discussed ad nauseum, but focus on the text itself, what it actually tells us, and the application in our lives. 
we are living in a day of judgment. Mm-hmm. We are living in a time when God is looking through our lives and we want yes. to be restored into that original Eden ideal. Amen. And so we can cling to this promise from way back then that is still alive today for our hope in Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you clip us the word of prayer as we close? Yes. Father in heaven, we are so thankful and unworthy to have that hope in Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that this same Jesus that was pledged there in Eden is now ministering for us in our behalf in the sanctuary above and still working to bring us to repentance and ultimately, Lord, to full and complete salvation and an end of sin and suffering. Mm. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.